and we are essentially at a lower level of sympathetic throughout most of our day and then that starts to transition later on in the day ideally and so you eating foods that maybe are higher in you know protein healthy fat um, vegetables or fibrous you know mainly non uh, or minimal blood sugar impacting carbohydrates earlier on you're essentially eating in such a way that you're going to be able to derive more energy from that and support the sympathetic processes of the body uh, nutritionally speaking and then later on in the day um, let's say like mid late afternoon you know evening night you switching to carbohydrate like a more of a carbohydrate dominant meals at that time or, or food array, whatever you want to call it, is actually going to support more of the parasympathetic side of your nervous system or that switch, right? And so with that, you're going to be able to trigger that mechanism we talked about earlier where your, your, your insulin is going to spike up. And so your cortisol response is going to, on that opposite pendulum, get driven down. And then you're going to transition between paying attention, focus, maybe training, and then be able to focus on recovery shutting down, starting to unwind, things like that. That was performance coach and nutritional consultant, Matt Cooper, speaking about the body's hormonal fluctuations throughout the day and associated nutritional patterning. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the free lap timing system in KBox or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of of data collecting strips, the contact grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to episode 162 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We so appreciate you guys. Uh, It is my blessing and my honor to put this podcast together for all of you. And it is, this is my own journey. This is my own journey into learning more about this thing we call the human body, athletic performance, sport performance, and everything that's connected to it. On the show today, Matt Cooper returns. He was on for episode 121, so just a little bit over 40 episodes ago, almost a year ago. 
And in that time, since Matt was on the show last, where he talked all things heavy barbell training and neurology, proprioceptive training, and evolution of barbell training in his system and a lot more, I've had great conversations with Matt that have really steered my own training process forward. Uh, Matt, even in, in addition to training barbells, proprioception, uh, working in a lot of technology like the Omega Wave and, and, and many other pieces of equipment that, to be honest, me and where I'm focused in the field don't even know the name of, but am fully interested in learning more. Matt has a very broad scope of knowledge and integrates a whole lot into his own training process. He is very, Matt is extremely well versed in the fields of nutrition, holistic human function, uh, technology, as you'll see on this show today, and is doing an awesome job of really just piecing together all these elements of the whole equation to improve athletic function. It's easy to, we have so many really good shows with just little individual pieces. Um, we, I never want to like get just really sex, too far sectioned into one thing. I always love to keep zooming out and zooming out and it, it helps me in my focus. And Matt is an excellent person to talk to in that regards. On the show today, he is going to chat about holistic training integration and is going to cover the elements of stress, recovery, nutrition, and energy systems and how they fit into the whole in the whole training equation. Being a master at the big rocks of training is awesome, but excelling at all those little subtleties, all those little 1% or 2% that add up to a big thing is really crucial. So I feel like especially if you call yourself a physical preparation coach or whatever that moniker goes by these days, or if you're an individual sports coach or just an athlete who wants to get better, these things, these subtleties, these little these little nutritional and lifestyle tidbits are really important in adding up to a really big thing. So specifically topics Matt is going to get into is uh, all things stress, light, energy systems, mitochondria, and building up good mitochondrial density in the body, caloric restriction, ketogenic implications. Um, as you heard in the teaser, he's going to talk a little bit about nutri nutrient intake and hormonal fluctuations. And finally, he's going to talk about the impact of nutritionally derived inflammation on pain and injury. This is a very information-dense episode with a pretty good bandwidth of pieces that really will expand your mind in how the body works from a holistic level. So let's get on to it, episode 162 with coach and nutrition consultant, Matt Cooper. So Matt, man, I know your roots are, I believe, like max, mus max muscle nutrition. Wasn't that where, where it all started for you? No, I worked with... Uh max nutrition for a while they changed their name by the way so they yeah. <laughs> it was it's not as bodybuilding sounding in the name but more inclusive no, I, my, the first thing yeah the first thing for me was a vitamin world at an outlet mall uh, right <laughs> like back in the day and so that was the very first like introduction i had to any of this stuff and then you know what are we at 12 13 14 years later something like that now um I, I didn't know I was going to stay in health and nutrition and strength and conditioning and have that evolve, but here we are. Yeah, so v vitamin shop in the mall or, or vitamin world in the mall. Is Not even a real mall, an outlet mall, dude. <laughs> you, so so, so uh, Max Nutrition was like a big, like, that was like a big step up then. Like, that wasn't the starting point. That was like the step up and then and then everything took off. Yeah, like I said, I think in the last episode, I wound up working for some people and I was doing a couple things at once. I was already coaching, I was already consulting and working with folks that way. Um, and then I was doing this as like a, an extra project. I've always had a fascination with 
nutritional supplements, both on the optimal health and holistic side and on the, the ergogenic or sports science side for performance, basically, you should call them. And so that led me down that path. I was very fortunate to work for some very forward thinking people there. And then, um, yeah, I still integrate supplements uh, myself, right? I just have my own dispensary now instead of working for someone else. Yeah, so you don't need to go behind the glass case at, <laughs> at the Vitamin Shop or Max Nutrition anymore. You got it yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> Except for it's the it's the good stuff. It's actually the stuff actually works, and not just the 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 T bomb eight thousand behind the glass case. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I will say I never worked for GNC, but I was. They tried to sell me a lot of T bomb when I was in there. Uh, it's funny now, actually. I, I do a good amount of both myself and as a ghostwriter for other people you might know and other companies you might know scientific writing for supplements and like I just long story short I wind up having to say no a lot to that because you know I just some of those companies let's just say they put out the marketing before they focus on the science or product quality so I'm not about that yeah no if 100% and no I, I think uh it wasn't like the bigger, faster, stronger documentary and all that stuff. You know, just get someone to get someone in a spray tan who takes steroids, you know, and is buff to say they use your supplement or promote your supplement. And like, it's, it's not the, I think that's one industry where the marketing can probably be at its shadiest uh, compared to, I mean, it can be like that in any industry, but I feel like nutrition especially can be one of the worst. Yeah. I mean, when you look at supplements, you're essentially like 90% of what you're going to see on the shelf has one of a few issues, right? So either there is pixie dusting or filler in the product. Uh, and then another, another big one is potentially harmful ingredients like excess heavy metals. I don't know how many times that's been found to be the case with protein powders. Um, and then another one is simply like a poor quality of sourcing, right? So, so that's behind a lot of the raid that went into the ca- raid, quote unquote, the exposure of, of a lot of the big box chain stores, supplements, and why they don't work. And, and I think for a lot of coaches that are on the fence about whether or not supplements work, there is a lot of conflicting research on some of them. And a lot of the reason for that is that the confounding variable is that you don't know whether they're actually testing practitioner grade, research grade, functional medicine grade, uh, nutritional supplements, or whether they're just testing one of the big box brands from, let's say, like a Costco or something like that. And so when you really account for that variable, you actually will see a lot of the research point towards supplements working, again, if they're being used in context for the right purpose. Um, so I think, I think that's why a lot of supplement studies are really difficult to parse through and really know whether you're getting something valuable out of it or not. And then of course there's the other logic, which would say that, okay, how much is one thing going to make as much of a difference when someone isn't doing some of the other basics, right? So it's that whole idea of, is the research being done on trained individuals, you know, what everyone would look at for strength and conditioning. Think of the same thing for nutrition. You know, are they respecting their their sleep cycles, their circadian biology? Um, are are they doing their solid whole food nutrition fundamentals before worrying about supplements? You know, are they training so on and so forth? And so I think that that's where some of the misapplication 
can come in. So I think supplements might be one of the most difficult things to study, honestly. Yeah, and I'd like to get more into supplements uh, as we move towards the, like, more specifics on them as we move towards the back half of the show. But so you mentioned back to, like, the Omega Wave, some things, like, you didn't like on there that impacted how you would program nutrition. Like, what what are some examples of that? Like, what's something that you would see there that, that would ring a bell or, or set an alarm off? And how would you specifically, like, integrate and go into, go into attacking the weakness or the, the thing that was lacking? So if I see a lot of sympathetic dominance on there, if I'm testing and I see someone in an excess state of fight or flight, uh, maybe a little bit too much or they're having trouble transitioning back to that from training, we might tell them not to do like certain other recovery modalities like let's say cold water immersion therapy because we're not necessarily trying to add more stress to that system. Or occasionally now you'll get athletes interested in things like fasting, which can be a good hormetic stress, but we would actually tell them not to do stuff that's going to cause extra excess stress, even if it's a good stress. And we would focus more on things that we know are going to promote the opposite effect in the body. So maybe looking at their sleep hygiene, for example, like artificial light, um, what type of focusing they're doing leading up to bedtime, right? Like, are they checking emails, stuff like that? Uh, and then on a on sort of a nutrition intervention level, that's where something like the aforementioned carb backloading might come in because in the body, right, cortisol spikes and insulin spikes are directly in opposition of one another. And so maybe if I do want an athlete being at a, and just a human being in general on a low level sympathetic, um, response during the day, if they're focusing, if they're active, and then maybe to a higher degree, if they're training, I really want to help them transition and quiet that later on. So that's where something like uh, giving them bigger boluses of carbohydrates later in the day might come into play, right? I think a big mistake people do is having guys load in nutrients closer to when their nutrition, uh, excuse me, closer to when their nervous system is going to be in a sympathetic state, right? So you actually can kind of nutritionally uh, regulate the autonomic nervous system. So if I'm going to go train, right, that's a good sympathetic. Ideally, that's where I want to spend all of my, my stress is on training, right? And the rest of the time I want to have very minimal stress, but there's a reason they call the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, uh, rest and digest, right? You are actually digesting food. So a lot of these athletes get these ideas from bodybuilders and they're loading in these big meals, uh, you know, and a lot of times, you know, carb dense meals right when they're going to train. And the reality is that your nervous system is about to go into a state where it actually cannot digest, absorb, assimilate and utilize a lot of these nutrients. So you're actually robbing yourself of a lot of performance by doing most of the conventional intro workout or pre-workout stuff people do. I'm not saying don't eat, but we try to really look at that and say, is what you're eating almost hyper digestible and is what you're eating like really constituted in a way where you're going to be able to pull nutrients from it um, in time for the performance or are we really doing you harm? So I hope that kind of answers in a long way uh, nutrient timing and nutrient periodization since we kind of group those two into one for that question. Sure. Uh, like, yeah, the carb thing makes a lot of sense. I, the last episode I did with Christian Thibodeau, he was talking about 
I think it was a, a Bob Slutter he was referring to, but a guy who uh, just an insanely fast 30 meters or 40 yard dash. He he was talking about how I think this guy ran like almost a four two something in the 40, or maybe it was a four two something. And he had a weekend where he had like had a lot of car, a real carb heavy weekend, like tons of carbs. And uh, on that Monday, like after the weekend, he was running like two tenths slower than his typical time. And he was freaking mm-hmm. out. And <laughs> one of the recommendations Christian made was to lower his carb intake, maybe make it more like maybe more along the lines of like a modified keto. Or I'm not sure exactly what the recommendation was, but lower carbs. And and then he came back a few days later and was significantly faster. And even myself, I, I've started now that I have that in my own databanks, like I'm starting to notice it. I had a workout I did a, like a few Mondays ago where I came in and was doing some some jumps or some sort of tests of power and it was really bad. And I was thinking mm. back to what I ate over the weekend. I was like, oh yeah, I had a really big pizza with my family like on Sunday <laughs> Sunday night, like a huge pizza. I ate so much pizza. I mean, and, and I'm getting older now too. I feel like the effects of that are more, maybe more pronounced. But um, so yeah, I, I've noticed that myself a little bit with the carbohydrates and things like that. Yeah, so what's interesting about that too is just there could be a few different things in there, right? Some athletes maybe coming off of a high end season where they were really carb dominant and carb heavy, they might've done a little bit of damage to their insulin receptors. So they might not be store like that analogy I like to use is storing bullets in the gun clip, like storing glycogen, the stored form of carbohydrates in the gun clip that is the muscle belly, right? So an athlete in that phase might need to do quite ironically, even if they're in a, like a glycolytic or carb burning dominant sport, they might need to do a little bit of a lower carb approach temporarily speaking, or at the very least, what we might do is calorie cycle them, right? And and on a day where their energy system is slanted more towards oxidative, right? So let's just say you were resting today. Right? Well, that's mainly oxidative, right? That's mainly going to be something that is uh, energized, uh, substrate-wise via your existing body fat or dietary fat. So that's probably not the day that we're going to really overload you in carbs unless we, we really need to bounce back recovery-wise from, from something. Uh, and and so, so with that, you might have someone have like oscillating days of higher carbohydrate and lower carbohydrate temporarily just based on what energy system that they're using. Uh, so, so that's one thing to think about. Another thing too is that if those, you know, you and that other guy is an example. If some of those carbs uh, or food in general is coming from a like a hyper-inflammatory source, that could potentially provoke a poor response in your nervous system, right? So some of the things you eat actually, once it hits that that gut-brain axis, could actually thrust your body into an unwanted and excess sympathetic state. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that the parasympathetic side of the nervous system is responsible for various recovery and anabolic processes, including mobilizing and feeding, uh, like nutrients through, through the blood, right. To the working tissues and, and the tissues we need to recover themselves. And so if you're constantly sending in bad information, remember nutrition is information, you really might be messing with your your nervous system, which you need working at a higher order to perform, uh, athletically speaking, and you might be uh, messing with your recovery at the same time. You might not be delivering some of those nutrients from food to the working tissues themselves. So that's probably what Christian was getting at. 
You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in the specifics of that stuff. And I, I like how you mentioned nutrition as information. Actually, maybe I want to follow up there. But you, I, we talked about this a little bit before the show, and you had mentioned it, the idea of seeing if you're like oxidative or, or sugar burning uh, and through your breathing on the day. <clears throat> yeah, actually. So if you take a look at something like a respirometer, and I'm not one of these guys that says that all this has to be nasal breathing necessarily, although it's a different conversation. But um, if you're mainly nasal breathing, that's going to be more aerobic dominant for the most part. And and that's going to keep you from going into an excess state of fight or flight. But if you are more uh, of a mouth breather, shall we say, that's probably going to make you transition your gears and go into a little bit of an excess sympathetic state sooner which is going to result in you utilizing more of that precious stored glycogen reserve that, you know, that, that you have. So that's where something like a lot of low level, not a lot, excuse me, um, some low level aerobic or cardio development, uh, on an energy system model could really work for you so that you don't have to go into that, uh, type of breathing right away, right? Your nervous system doesn't have to get as provoked early on in the game. And so later on, you actually can transition to glycogen when you need it and maybe stay a little bit more aerobic early on, right? You're technically, the caveat there is you're technically using, you know, all the different pathways in the body at once for the most part. It's just which one are you going to be dominant in? So um, nutritionally speaking as as well with that, you can kind of look at an athlete's breathing uh, look at how agitated they get early on uh, and throughout their games and practices and then start to see where some of their energy system dominance or deficits come into play. And then you can program habits, breathing, um, nutrition, so on and so forth around that. What kind of what kind of respirometer are you using to gain this information? So VO2 Master actually is, is one that I like. I know a lot of people like Pinoe analytics uh, you can and these are things that are you know vo2 testers as well you actually can get a respirometer on its own but essentially it's just showing you if someone's using a little bit more um, like, like ketones or fat oxidation versus carbohydrates just to put it, put that simply sure oh so these are so it's like a, if it's a vo2 max that's a pretty like evolved apparatus and it's not something you can just kind of like bust out in a small like in a like take it out to the court and do it or like a it's is that a pretty involved piece of equipment? Oh no, these are portable. Oh, they are. these are newer portable versions. So I mean, you could wear it for a sprint and and wouldn't. <laughs> you're not going to get your best time, but you could <laughs> you could do some testing. That's for sure. Yeah, you can get some information, or maybe wear it while you're doing an extreme ISO lunge, right, and see how you're going through the energy systems. That'd be kind of rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be pretty interesting too, and see how your your brain responds to it, right, and and how your your breathing. You could you could really parse through a lot there, actually. Sometimes too, I mean, there's other tests that people can do, like quizzes they can take to see, you know, from a more or less likely perspective, like, like, are they more of a dominant uh, glycogen burner versus uh, fat oxidizer? So those can be kind of interesting. Obviously, that's not something that you would make any type of clinical diagnosis with, not that we're trying to, but that could be an easy startup way for a lot of people listening to to get into this work because most people are not going to have access to a portable 
um, metabolic typing system, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that brings me back to like, shoot, it was probably, uh, it was well over a hundred episodes with Dr. Mike T. Nelson. And he's talking about that thermostat of sugar versus fat burning. And I love that guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is awesome. And, and I, man, it was, it was such a good show too. And I was kind of like one of those things where it's like, you're a fat burner, you're a sugar burner. No, there's kind of a spectrum, but I, I, I like, um, or there is a spectrum and I like the idea of being able to monitor some changes based around at least oxygen and, and breathing and all that um, in the course of, of working out. And, and it seems like a really cool thing. I, I'm sure it probably could, uh, especially for someone like me too, I'm someone who needs to experience changes like that are athletic to wrap my head around physiological processes. I was like the ADD guy in school until it came to like, if it comes to working anything involved the human body, working out hands on muscles, like I'm good, like, well, let's go like, but then I, so I've always needed something to wrap my head around. So I might have to look into that and start playing around with it. It'd probably be a lot of fun and help me to kind of connect what I'm doing with my nutrition and, and things like that. And yeah, it seems like a really cool tool. Yeah. I mean, so something you could do there that would, I mean, in my experience, athletes tend to feel sooner than others, not necessarily in an instantaneous instant gratification caffeine kind of way, but something that's pretty easy to build up is to optimize your omega three to six ratio. Uh, so, and look at your essential fatty acid panels, if you will. So your interventions there are getting more omega three, a little bit less omega six on a dietary level, and then doing what you can to support the cholinergic system. So really high grade omega three fish oil, uh, something that I'm big on. And then in addition to that too, you can even look at things. Um, and this is, this is where we get into away from the essential supplements and into the more accessory stuff, optional stuff, but that would be like an alpha GPC, something that's going to support nerve transmission. Um, yeah. And then I guess I should say, since we're naming off things like that, you know, one of the essentials would be getting on a good electrolyte and, and mineral blend since our bodies are about what 85% water, uh, minerals, amino acids, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm very simplistic in, in my, um, approach to nutrition, but fish oil has been something that I've been very gung ho on <laughs> about the last, uh, two or three months and it, it's been really good. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, uh, I did want to ask you too, Matt, about like, you said nutrition is information. What do you mean by, I, I, I can see, I can see where you're going with it. Well, what do you mean by that? So all the different interventions we, we give our body is just information and then the body aggregates that information and then adapts to that information for better or worse. Nutrition is, you know, it's an extension of that. So when I put something in my body or an, or an athlete puts something in their body, they're <clears throat> essentially giving it something to respond to. So in that sense, it's information. So you want to make sure that you're giving your body the right software programs to perform at an optimal level, not creating a bunch of spyware that it's going to run haywire from. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I think it makes sense, especially like on the level like the nervous system, which I know that was a question we wanted to get to as well. And like I know if you walk into the, the typical GNC or anything like that, like obviously it's 100% marketed towards physique like or any nutritional you know shop. But it's like it's not like you're going to walk into 
GNC and it's like, you know, ner- here's the nervous system optimization section. Like, right. Like, I mean, how many people would be in that aisle, you know, compared to the people looking at the stuff behind the glass case or the stuff with the buff dude on it, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's obviously not something that the average person is truly that interested in. I guess you probably have the endurance, you know, the endurance crowd, like, right. The triathletes and all the endurance and energy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty well represented, even if they're not necessarily always programmed for the right way. Yeah, I feel like it's like it's almost like the triage of of um, the people may walking into a nutrition shop would be like people who want to look better, then maybe the endurance crowd, and then the people who look behind the glass case. I mean, you'd know better than I. And then then maybe the person who looks at like the nervous system optimization. I know they they used to sell. Um, I always remember back. I don't know if you're old enough to remember. It was like called like extreme orange or like the stuff I took, like when I was in college. Gosh, what was it called? Um, I don't know. It had some ingredient that I think is illegal now, like from a nervous system perspective, maybe I should take away my PR. Um, but oh, why can I not remember it? Uh, anyways, uh, but <laughs> so, but beyond lean body, body mass though, beyond like, you know, I guess you could say more the, the energetic side. Uh, and if we're looking into uh, the nervous system side, what are your, what's your take on the philosophy of nutritionally supporting the athleticism and the nervous system through nutrition? Yeah, so you're basically just reverse engineering the physiology there and then supporting it nutritionally, right? And I just want to throw out the caveat that we're not doing something that everyone has to do. This isn't necessarily uh, an essential or foundational piece of supplementation or or nutrition. But, uh, you know, since we're working with a performance crowd, you know, it definitely applies, right? So some of the things that we just mentioned – really fixing the omega three to six ratio is going to be where we might start with that. So we get enough, uh, the short order is we get enough omega six through our diet food wise right now, the typical American diet. So we want to get more, you know, more fish in there things like that. Um, more nuts and then support that via supplementation as well. Right. So that's where, again, to, to use fish as, as a reference here that, really high grade functional medicine grade omega-3 fish oil can really help kind of tune various parts of the nervous system. Uh, something like alpha GPC would come into play here as well. Uh, this is where I'm, I go beyond some of the typical electrolyte recommendations and I like getting, getting guys on a really comprehensive, uh, either plant or ocean mineral blend, uh, to really help, you know, motor neuron volley and transmission which, uh, you know, when you see an athlete on the court, like when you see a LeBron James go up for a dunk, right? It's this ultra impressive hairline trigger level fast twitch movement. So underneath that, right, your physiology has to be finely tuned in order to, and and act on a hairline trigger in, in and of itself, essentially. So that's where some of these things that help motor neuron communication will support things like, you know, that coaches would understand like rate coding, um, innervation, myelination, things like that. And a lot of these pathways that support the dialogue between nervous and musculoskeletal systems. Um, something else that you're going to want to do is just make sure you have a robust, uh, you know, mitochondrial density in the tissue, um, you know, optimal tissue pH, things like that. Uh, so a, a few follow-up questions. So uh, actually, I'll just start with the one that you just said. So having a robust mitochondrial density, uh, how do you do that? 
So that would be where I would start with someone on the fundamentals. So things like sleeping enough, you know, that, that's going to be number one, getting in a nutrient dense diet, uh, respecting your light cycles, right? So this is going to tie into sleep and also cross over into just proper overall circadian signaling, but making sure you see morning light, making sure you see evening light, things like that, uh, being respectful of the, uh, you know, the, the light ratios that you're seeing later on in the day. Uh, in addition to that, you can also take certain nutritional supplements to support various stages of, uh, you know, the electron transport chain, various stages of mitochondrial production. Um, a lot of people end up turning to things like either, you know, most fast twitch athletes are not going to be following any type of low carb or any iteration of the ketogenic diet or, or intermittent fasting uh, as frequently, but that might be where you can program in certain uh, you know, temporary fasting days or lower carbohydrate eating windows in order to, to really capitalize on some of this stuff. Yeah. Things that support, um, you know, autophagy, protein remodeling, cellular apoptosis, a lot of the things that uh, are going to go in and prune off uh, weaker, potentially disease containing also mitochondria and replace them with newer ones. Sure. Uh, and yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, so that's another question I'll ask you here in a second uh, with fasting and all that. And I, I know I've, I've done that quite a few times now recently in the last year. And I always enjoy it, but I haven't really thought about the athletic and nervous system uh, potentials or outputs. Uh, I was going to ask you about, uh, you mentioned you mentioned this as electrolytes and, and a plant mineral blend. Can you go into detail on that? Like, what does that look like? Like, what is that, what is that um, in terms of what the athlete's putting in their body? Things that most people have heard of, honestly, like, like potassium, magnesium things like that gotcha so, yeah so basically like it's almost just like a basic um not a, it's not a salt tablet but it's like it's kind of like that same thing like i think i've seen salt tablets with electrolytes or with that type of thing so just yeah coming from a good source that's bioavailable though i would say is the difference between it is basic for sure you know this isn't a revelation or anything but a lot of the basic supplements out there just don't have whether it's this or other things, don't have great bioavailability. So I'm, I'm, I remain pretty unconvinced that most of what you're going to take in, you're going to absorb. Uh, so, so just making sure it's coming from the right source where you do have a third-party lab checking in on it, validating that it's coming from the right source, that nothing harmful is in it, that it's you know being represented at efficacious doses, things like that. You said, uh, you said, so yours is like plant-based, you said plant or mineral, I mean, I don't know if you get that. Yeah, plants or... yeah, essentially an ionic plant mineral blend. Okay. Is that something you get at the store? Or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. You definitely, I have a, you know, no vested interest or anything like that. Um, I did post some information about it online. Maybe we can link to that in the show notes for people who want to dig deeper. Sure. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, Matt, you, um, yeah, before I, actually, I was going to get into uh, fiber type, but I I do want to talk about fasting because that's something that's been interesting interesting to me and you know like the auto the auto I'm going to say the autophagy or I, I autophagy autophagy man that was really bad okay <laughs> no, <laughs> autophagy yeah auto gosh it's like I'm uh, speaking a foreign language and just totally butchering it but um, yeah and the apoptosis and all that stuff it was uh, it was a guy the first time I got into it was a guy uh, Eric Remmelsberger who. 
it was on like optimum performance podcast i guess it was like four years ago it was a guy who basically kind of cured his own stage four pancreatic using a variety of alternative means but one of the biggest things was caloric restriction of the fact that he never like of all the other health food things he did he never took time off of like just eating and so i've gotten into that a lot and i really like it but i so what are the what what can you go and get what the nervous system ramifications of like temporary fasting are yeah something called neurosynaptic autophagy and that's where you're actually pruning off weaker nerve fibers, weaker synapses, and replacing them with newer ones. Um, intermittent fasting is something that you bring up, and it, it garners a lot of love or hate. There's not a, a lot in the middle. I will say a lot of the people who are big-time proponents of it in the physique community and optimal health community have points. But a lot of people just think it's this general modality. You, you plug it in there, and then a bunch of math. Magic happens, and, and I think people, and this guy's more in the physique world, but people like Martin Burkhan have really proven and showed that fasting has to be supported with the right context around it, right? So what fasting can do is make what makes it hard to study, right, is help athletes walk that line between, um, you know, mTOR stimulation and various anabolic processes of the body. Uh, and also uh, things like autophagy, um, cellular apoptosis, so on and so forth, right? So being able to walk that line is important because you can actually help optimize someone's health. You can actually create longevity in the body, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to eat like how most people who fast eat, right? Which would not lend itself to athletic performance. So a lot of people and a lot of the studies that look at fasting have people eating a whatever they want. And, you know, that has obvious problems. I don't need to get into. Um, but everybody else seems to be eating almost, you know, <laughs> more or less like a bird, as I call it, um, in conjunction with that. And what someone like Burkhan has really showed and why I appreciate his work is he, you know, he'll have people training hard, eating, um, you know, higher boluses of protein, plenty of carbohydrates, things like that. And, and fasting is sort of used as a tool along with calorie cycling to walk the line between supporting the anabolic processes of the body and then also the, uh, you know, shall we say like more of the health optimization or more on the fasting side as well. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, like most of these team sports athletes, like, like we are, you're essentially going to want to go back to that periodized nutrition model that we referenced earlier and maybe plug in a small portion of the year uh, where you might have someone follow a diet that might lend itself more to some of these uh, autophagic type processes, right? So that might, that's definitely going to be when they're not competing, you know, somewhere in the off season there. Um, but you're work, you're focusing more on uh, not only the, the uh, autophagic processes and the optimal health processes of the body, you're also retraining your metabolic efficiency. You're giving the insulin receptors um, and a lot of those mechanisms responsible for nutritional storage in the body a little bit of a break right because let's be honest it's almost like uh, an iphone battery if you really charge it charge it charge it over and over and over again you're not going to have that same response come back so what this does is at a time when the athlete doesn't need to be performing at a high clip you're actually just either you know having them do a little bit more lower carbohydrate days maybe slightly more often than they normally would 
uh, for competition or you're maybe programming in some regularly scheduled fasting, you're actually resetting some of those insulin receptors that help with the that gun clip type storage of carbohydrates. So you're and what is that at the end of the day? It's not just energetic support. That's that's going to be energy system development. Right. So energy system development needs to be looked at from a nutritional perspective, not just a training perspective. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. No, and and yeah. that'll be a way longer answer than you wanted. <laughs> no, it was a really good answer. I, I know. And I, I always like thinking about that stuff. Like what's the ramifications beyond it? I mean, we think about fasting. It's like, okay, cellular, cellular turning, cellular cleaning, your body gets to clean itself. Well, what does that mean for athletics? I mean, I would say it's great for general health. Like, you know, there's, there's points that it needs to be done. Uh, and I, my own, when I fast, I, I'm not good at like, I'm not good at the intermittent fasting thing. When I do it, I just go, I just go on like longer day, you know, longer day water fast, like for several days at a time. And, uh, so I, maybe mine, my experience is a little different. I, I noticed after doing the first one, like I, when I started eating again, it was almost like I could eat more. And I should have kept a log of how my athletic performance was coming along, but I just remember I came back, went to back to a fairly normal diet, but I didn't gain, actually didn't gain the weight back. And like, I stayed lean. Like it was like, it was weird, but something was very different. Like the amount of food I was eating would have definitely, typically like I would have just gained it back, but, or, or gained weight. But for some reason I didn't, I stayed lean and something was going on. And to think about like ramifications of the nervous system as well. And like you said, insulin, mm-hmm. um, I think it's like, and just with anything like fast and feast, right? Like you, you don't specialize in one sport all year. You take time off. You don't lift weights heavy all year. You take time away from lifting heavy weights when you, um, especially depends on your neurotype a little bit in volumes, but you know, there's always this fast and feast thing to, to everything. And I, I like thinking, hearing more specifics about the ramifications of, of taking time away from food and caloric intake. Yeah. I mean, that dates back to the ancient Greek Olympians, Right. Like they actually would would have very hedonistic type days where they would they would engage in things like, quote unquote, a, a cheat day or carb refeeds. Mm-hmm. And really, the human animal is kind of wired that way, honestly. Um, so so it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to, you know, to still follow some of that stuff if, it, if it's intentional, you know. And I think that's also what what people have. Uh, excuse me. I think that's a misconception that people have about some of this stuff to speak to your other point, right? On a fasting level or on a keto, ketogenic level. So keto was invented initially for medical applications to be a fasting mimicking diet, right? And so we could kind of cut out the middleman there and then say, all right, well, well, we're going to get some of the health and performance benefits that come from this optimal state in our metabolism with a little bit more fasting but we can still eat, you know, higher boluses of protein and carbohydrates. Because don't forget that that keto ratio that was invented, that that was invented to be uh, for medical applications, right? So that that amount of protein, that amount of you know that that array of macronutrients was meant to be more for for just medical cases. And I'm not saying that there aren't certain athletes, particularly in the endurance crowd, whose energy system models might benefit more from something maybe not that strict, but some, some spectrum of, of, you know, deeper ketosis more often. Right. Whereas like what someone like Dr. Mike T. Nelson has shown is that metabolic flexibility is, is the goal. Right. And, and you can actually, um, accomplish a lot of those 
health benefits and sort of, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, I well, yeah, that was the thing with the keto diet. And I know with like Christian Thibodeau went into that a little bit with like particular people who are more suited for it than others, especially in the athletic space. But like I'd always heard where people would go on it, like athletes would talk about going on it and they'd be like, yeah, my lifts were down like 20%. Like it's not... It's, it's if you're on it all the time, there's some ramifications to to, to power production that are certainly going to happen. For sure, but but I would also say that, and, and again, I'm very much not the keto guy, but I just look at like, all right, so principles, and then underneath that, we have uh, tools that we can use, right? We have methods, and so the keto, or or just being in some state of ketosis, can be plugged in for certain athletes, um, more long term, sure, like more endurance athletes, because that's their energy mm-hmm. system. But even like more fast twitch athletes, like you might program that in for a little bit to help just, you know, help them be healthier, <laughs> live a longer life, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But again, temporarily, yeah, you will see their performance go down. That's just the metabolic adaptation period that happens there when the body is getting used to running a little bit more off of dietary fat and body fat than it is uh, carbohydrates, right? Uh, and that's again why it's very, very important that if you're going to program in uh, sort of a diet strategy like that, you're doing it, you know, one of two ways. If it's going to be a little bit more conventional and they're going to have less higher moderate carb days, that's probably going to be best temporarily in the off season just to reset some of these uh, health processes of the body and and, and uh, you know and drive performance too, albeit just more long term. Uh, or the other way of doing it is saying, okay, well, let's just eat for our energy system development and utilization. And so we might do an occasional, um, you know, intermittent fasting day, uh, or, or an occasional, uh, low carb day yoked to when the athlete is resting, you know? And so, so that when you're walking that line, you're getting the best of, of both worlds. You just have to be careful with it and say, all right, if this is a tool we're going to use, it's going to be more when the car doesn't really need to be on the track for a while versus when that, that car needs to be drag racing, you know, three days a week for, for games in season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that, that kind of template, like of the low carb, except for, um, those, the big workout days and like kind of, um, that, that being the model, I, I think I've seen it on a few sources. I, I, what do you think about like on the day? Like I, I forget where I've, cause I forget where I heard this from exactly or who, but like the idea of having like a modified keto where it's like the first half of the day is kind of keto. And then after that, the second half of the day can be, or maybe is that, I don't know if that's carb backloading. Um, I've, I've always felt personally like that works better for me, especially in the context of a a workout in the morning. Uh, That's, that's a really, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, that's no, that was it for me. (laughs) I'm interested to hear what you have to say. No, No. So, so basically why you feel so good doing that is um, because you're, you're essentially eating for supporting uh, for support of your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system, right? So when you wake, right, we all know that there's a cortisol spike immediately. And we are essentially at a lower level of sympathetic throughout most of our day. And then that starts to transition later on in the day, ideally. And so you eating foods that maybe are higher in, you know, protein, healthy fat, um, vegetables or fibrous, you know, mainly non, uh, or minimal blood sugar impacting carbohydrates earlier on, 
you're essentially eating in such a way that you're going to be able to derive more energy from that and support the sympathetic processes of the body, uh, nutritionally speaking. And then later on in the day, um, let's say like mid, late afternoon, you know, evening, night, you switching to carbohydrate, like a more of a carbohydrate dominant uh, meals at that time or, or food array, whatever you want to call it, is actually going to support more of the parasympathetic side of your nervous system or that switch, right? And so with that, you're going to be able to trigger that mechanism we talked about earlier where your, your, your insulin is going to spike up and so your cortisol response is going to, on that opposite pendulum, get driven down and then you're going to transition between paying attention, focus, maybe training, and then be able to focus on recovery, shutting down, starting to unwind, things like that. Um, you're also probably, but potentially, and then there's conflicting research on this, you know, maybe enhancing a little bit of uh, uh, insulin sensitivity there, although that would have to be more of a long-term play, not something that's going to happen within the scope of, you know, a day or a short, short window of time. Yeah, that's really good stuff, Matt. It makes me feel better about that. It makes me want to like stick to that even more like t- kind of tightly because I know when I do it, I always I always just feel really good. And uh, mm-hmm. it's good to hear some more information. Yeah, the whole like carbs at night thing too. I'm sure it's just kind of a lot of, there is a lot of mixed, like up in, I've, I've heard people say, oh, what do you think about having all your carbs at night? And I'm like, I don't, dude, I don't know. I, uh, it's, it's, I'm sure the research is a little bit mixed on, on the response there. It, it, it is actually. And so there's, there's some hypotheses out there that people who have better circadian biology, right? P- people who are a little bit more dialed in on their, sleep and wake cycles, light exposure might, and I'm going to use that word, you know, very, very intentionally, they they might do better with your type of eating schedule there, carbs later on. Um, There's an emergent field of research that is, uh, I mean, it's been around chronobiology, but there's, there's some emergent research right now going into looking at whether uh, yoking carbohydrates to more like sunlight periods, you know, photo periods might parallel what we know about our own evolution a little bit better. Um, again, to, to reference Dr. Mike, he's someone who's spoken on that a lot and, and has essentially concluded that where we're at right now with that research, there's not enough to really make a full-blown conclusion, although it is definitely an area of interest to look at, you know, move, moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So that could explain why someone would respond better to that and another person might not. Yeah, for sure. It's always so complex. I like um, I like that you go back to like just making sure your sleep wake cycles and the light the light stimulation, which I think probably the light uh, stimulation uh, might be the biggest problem for a lot of athletes. But just always going back to that is support the supportive uh, network before you even get into the the finer points of of you know tweaking out your diet. And because I think yeah, knowing where to start to like like what where do we start with and what impacts what and constantly being reminded of that I, I i i think we have time for one last question and maybe we already covered it a little bit but i know we already talked about nutrition for energy system development um any specifics or thoughts on like fiber type like so fast twitch any nutritional uh insights or advice in that regards yeah i i did also want to throw it out there just because this, this is something that we we off the call spoke on talking about and i think could be really valuable for a lot of listeners um don't forget that most soft tissue injuries are caused by nutrition, actually, or at least exacerbated by nutrition, um, basically via inflammation of the nerves causing pain. 
So I did, I did want to include that nugget in the podcast, uh, just cause I think a lot of people could get a lot out of it, but, um, to, to transition to your question about muscle fiber type, that, that, that essentially is just looking at the muscle fibers and how they're fed, right? So if you're looking at a primarily slow twitch athlete or slow twitch muscle fibers, that's going to be something that's very oxidatively fed, which is, which means it's fed lipolytically with your own, uh, body fat or with dietary fat. Uh, your hairline trigger fast twitch to, to go back to the basketball example that or sprinting that is fed primarily via glycolysis right and that that means uh, carbohydrates or carbohydrate uh, inclusion there for as far as nutrition goes your and, and this might come as a surprise to a lot of people but your uh, other type of, of fast twitch fibers are actually oxidative and so that means they're fed pretty evenly between both dietary fat, body fat, and then also from carbohydrates. So that would be, that would you know, be those uh, muscle fibers that let's say like a bodybuilder or a power lifter would be training, right? So they are fast twitch, but it's not that ultra, ultra hairline trigger uh, type 2B muscle, uh, fast twitch muscle fiber, right? That's going to fatigue even quicker. So that's why a lot of these athletes in iron sports, right? They actually tend to do okay following a diet that doesn't necessarily need an ultra high amount of carbohydrates, but still does include carbohydrates. And all, there's a ton of misconceptions about that. Whereas like, you know, a basketball athlete who does have, you know, again, all the fiber types, um, they're primarily going to be driven by the ultra hairline trigger type fast twitch, and then also have a, a nice supporting system of some slow twitch fibers. Um, so, so nutritionally speaking, that means you're going to be looking at including, um, you know, plenty of healthy fat and, you know, sufficient amount of carbohydrates as well. Uh, if you want to get extra detailed with that, you can wave and weave those depending on what type of training day or rest day that they might be having. So, so the healthy fats, I mean, obviously it's important for everybody, but especially for, you can make that connection a little bit between <clears throat> that and the fast twitch or the type two fast twitch. Sorry, say that one more time. Sorry, uh, healthy fats being important for everybody, but is there like a connection specifically then between um, like the, the, are you insinuating a connection between like the type 2B, the hairline, and then the healthy fats specifically? Yeah, well, actually I was making, I was referencing a little bit more of the, the ultra hairline trigger fast, which are fed a little bit more via carbohydrates, but you know, well, what healthy fats will do for everyone is help support uh, various elements of the nervous system, you know, myelin sheath, so on and so forth, the brain, uh, w which is going to help promote nervous system function for higher order athletic movements, right? Um, but in terms of being fed just on an energy system utilization level, uh, slower twitch muscle fibers or the mixed fast twitch muscle fibers, those are fed uh, quite efficiently by healthy fats. Sure. Maybe that's where I was a little confused because it's like, yeah, like obviously the type two B's is they're glycolytic. It's, it's carbs, but the way you know, we also talked about, you know, if you're too carb heavy, you can have that depressing effect. And that's where you probably get in more of the nervous system effect and, of, of things. And like you were talking about a little bit before in the show. Uh, so just like, yeah, clarification there a little bit. So, so yeah. Yeah. So being just really like, uh, I guess kind of polarized of it. I mean, obviously if you're an endurance athlete, you know, your demands are a little different than like a power lifter, Olympic lifter. But so at the end of the day, if you want to eat for like 
fast twitch if you know like what's could you reiterate what the that like kind of diet is or versus <clears throat> slow twitch yeah yeah i'm, I'm sorry I, if that was confusing i was referencing like the slower fast twitch like more like weightlifter fast twitch was fed pretty efficiently by both carbs and fat whereas the ultra hairline trigger fast twitch is is going to be fed energy system wise mm-hmm. by more carbohydrates but in order to be able to just have a high functioning nervous system, you need to, in just health in general, you need to have healthy fats coming in to kind of underpin that. Even if that's just sort of a, um, you know, a smaller requisite amount and your main energetic, uh, food is going to be carbohydrate, right? So, um, yeah, the essential fats for everybody is going to help promote brain health and higher order nervous system functioning, but that ultra hairline trigger fast twitch athlete is still going to be fed primarily with carbohydrates. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure thing. Sure so thing. it's like you're, 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 you're looking at just a, the setting the table, um, s- setting the, that biological foundation with, uh, just a balanced diet, which includes plenty of healthy fats. And then when it comes to actually performing, that's where we're going to include higher amounts of carbohydrates i got you got you and what uh what like in the what type of window are you talking about in that um i mean i guess it's like on the day again right like i just get confused with like the 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 keto effect and and being like a fast twitch explosive performance and then carb like any sort of feeding carb feeding (laughs) like i you know i what what's the timing like how does the timing work with all that so if you yeah of course, uh, I understand why it's a, it's a lot to parse through. So if you were, let's say, working with an athlete for a whole year, I think what you would ideally do is look at that nutritional periodization model. And then somewhere in your off season, um, you're going to be looking at maybe cleaning up their diet since they have not as demanding of a schedule. And so you're going to see things like inflammation get silenced. You're going to be able to do things like maybe a period where they don't have to have as many carbohydrates um, cause they have less training demands and less, and then no competition demands. Or if you're dealing with an athlete in season and you may or may not get a chance to work with them in the off season, what you might be doing is just having them on rest days do a lower carbohydrate setup. And again, lower carbohydrate to them might still mean getting like, that might be a good amount of carbohydrates to you and I, right. Um, another thing you could do there is potentially program in like a fasting day a week or something like that, or, or a fasting day per X amount of time based on when, uh, you know, it's going to be safe for them because they don't have to perform that day. Right. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah. That's, it, it ties together a lot of things we're already talking about. So I'm, I thank you for the clarification there. And, uh, yeah, before we go, actually, I, you did touch on inflammation. I don't necessarily have time for like a full expose on it, but like, so pretty much like the biggest nutritional impact on injuries is that of muscle inflammation, like you mentioned before, and it's the inflammation has the negative impact on the nervous system, which could uh, cause a discoordination, you know, that discoordination that caused that with the soft tissue injury. So that's kind of what you were saying there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you look at things that are, that don't necessarily have a structural cause, right? So if you're looking at things like thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, quadriceps tendinopathy, uh, a lot of these injury diagnoses to the soft tissue, um, and a lot of these are honestly diagnoses by by exclusion, right? Hmm. Where they don't really know what the cause is. 
I mean, the first tree that we normally bark up with athletes is nutrition to hmm. see, all right, is, is nutrition causing some type of nerve inflammation, which is causing the tissue quality to go down, right? Is the tissue stiff? Is it immobile? Oh. Are you in pain? Um, all of these things. And then when we optimize that, then yeah, we can go in and, and maybe rule some other things out or, or, you know, treat it accordingly. And that, that is one thing that I'll leave your listeners with is that early on, if you're working with an athlete and programming some nutritional interventions for them, you might not necessarily be as concerned with body composition early on mm. in that transition period of the off season, but cleaning up their diet to make sure that they're not eating anything that's causing chronic inflammation 85% of the time is going to be, is going to be pretty key. Right. And so then mm. through that, you're going to support things that we talked about, optimal health, the nervous system, uh, longevity, the immune system, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like I should put it in the show notes. If you have a link like for like diet-based guidelines, obviously we don't have time to go into it, but guidelines for reducing inflammation. I think a lot of people are familiar with it, but I think just like it's almost like that reference guide, you know, like and and that being something with that injured athlete. I, I imagine you might see that show up with like the newbie too, right? Direct current stimulation and, and detecting like compromised nervous system patterns after if someone who has really bad nutrition or something compared to someone who has really yeah. good nutrition, how high you can turn it up or things like that. I'm like thinking about that now. So I'm kind of excited yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see that manifest with, with folks, right? Like they might not be able to take as much of their brain's own current via the newbie, um, the direct current electrical stimulation in some of these hot spots. but you fix their diet. Those people can tend to, uh, see a higher degree of their brain's own current without issue, right? So you're also, a lot of the stuff that things like, you know, RPR is based on, and a lot of those nervous system wake-ups, um, you'll, you'll see sort of influenced here with, with nutrition too, right? Because if you're eating in a way that's causing the brain to go into a survival mode, well, we know the brain works on a protect-to-perform continuum. So if I'm eating or, or living, right, stressing, you know, so maybe mm -hmm. overtraining, so on and so forth in a way that's causing my brain to fear for the survival of the whole human organism. Well, then, you know, you can bet that it's not going to be shifted onto that performance side too much. And that could even cause, honestly, um, poor, poor neuromuscular recruitment where certain maybe smaller intrinsic muscles that we want to fire will not fire um, and, until we get the brain out of that protect mode and back on a little bit more onto the perform side, get it to relax a little bit. And that's where nutrition, um, your, your, your mobility, corrective exercise and things like the newbie can come into play. I love it. That gives me so much new things to think about. Well, well, awesome, man. Hey, I, I ran out of time for the show today, but Matt, thank you for coming back on sharing some awesome knowledge with us and gave me again, a lot of things to ponder and work with as well. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, uh, no problem at all, Joel. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's all just my two cents from the cheap seats at the end of the day. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Appreciate you guys being here. Uh, you guys rock, the listeners. I, I just I see the the ratings and the views and downloads and the comments. And I have been beyond blessed to be able to be a facilitator to all these incredible coaches, incredible people who are just pushing the field forward, furthering themselves and, and are just driven by growth. And it's just been great. So if you like the show, I'd 
definitely leave us a rating or review iTunes Stitcher. I'd love to get up to 200 uh, ratings on iTunes. That is a goal of mine. So if you can help to make that happen, you rock. And uh, it would be an awesome thing that you could do for us to help spread the message. Our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. You heard about the new stuff they got out earlier in the show. Constantly evolving company, bringing you the best of in sports tech and making that process just a little bit simpler for you uh, rather than having to scour a lot of sites and, and pieces of information to find these things. Uh, they're bringing you awesome sport technology, a great blog, and more uh, along with great customer service. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you guys next time around with another guest. Have a good one.